and welcome to the Related to Geeks Book Club. We are back again at it at the Gamer Plus chat in Tinker's Tavern, and we are going to be discussing Neuromancer by William Gibson. So I'm just going to open it up for discussion. Just general first impressions. What do you think of the book? (laughs) (laughs) Vivian couldn't get through it. Yeah, I, I've, I've tried twice, and I just go, "Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot." <laughs> um, I mean, I've I've read tons of big thick books. It's not, it wasn't that. It's just he didn't drag me in. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've even read a lot of science fiction, and a lot even further out, and some even more dystopian. Um, but this one uh, didn't grab her interest. Uh, however, yeah. it grabbed my interest. Um, I I felt like it was really good. I, <laughs> I think it's a really good book. That's what I think. Guys, guys, just <laughs> just in case, um, I I just want you to know that this. I feel like that this might be a book that could be considered good. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I got from that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, let me... Mostly, why is it a good book? Okay, mostly I read for entertainment. And I don't mm-hmm. try to find really good books. I try to find page-turners. I read adventure narrative, and I like fantasy, and I just like to read books to past the time you know what i'm saying and um but i have read a lot of good books i can tell the difference you know and sometimes mm-hmm. uh sometimes when i pick up one up and i'm not even trying to find a really good book i end up finding one um <laughs> yeah um this one though i expected to be really good and in fact it lived up to the hype you know so that's- so here's here's my way of explaining this phenomenon that you're discussing is that there's a lot of books that I'll read through and I'll really enjoy, but I don't necessarily feel like I have to dig deeper. And then there's certain books that while I'm reading it, I'm thinking about reading it again. And this was one of those books. Absolutely. As I, yeah, that I just I was excited for a second read through of this book. Yeah, me too. In fact, um, I don't I don't even think you can really get it the first time through. And I've only read it once. And mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, and there's a lot of it I didn't get. <laughs> yeah. So you're trying to tell me I should give it another chance or what? <laughs> oh, no, I mean, if it's not for you, you, it's not for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I get like, I mean, I, I got about 60 pages in and I was just having a weird disconnect and I restarted it and restarting that first section helped a lot because I was kind of able to piece some stuff together the thing that really makes this book difficult and a lot of books of this type is that you kind of have to learn the language before you can get the story yeah and the setting because the setting is so um Mm -hmm. different it's been copied many times and so it's kind of easier on us to kind of um but imagine reading this in 1985 came out in 84 you know i mean <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one of those that um 
like I almost kind of wish that there was a glossary at the end to just help me when they <laughs> threw out certain terms. I was just like, I know that they've mentioned that before, <laughs> but I don't remember exactly what that's supposed to be. Yeah. Is that made up words or what? Well, they're, uh, there are words specific to different cultures that they're in. In a, I mean, they're they're traveling all the time, so they're in like mm-hmm. three or four different settings and different cultures, and and they're all uh, future, um, fairly near future. You know, there is artificial intelligence, so that's the um, that's the unknown. We don't know when that kind of artificial intelligence will ever be actually functioning. Um, uh, but if you imagine a fairly near future where there's artificial intelligence, that's what I would mm-hmm. say this is, you know. And um, uh, the prose is really um, spectacular. Um, uh, I would say on a level with Jack Vance prose. It's entirely different than Jack Vance prose. Okay. <laughs> I love Jack Vance. Yeah. But on a level with, uh, um, I mean, there's um, a beautiful passage after beautiful passage, and it's all um, describing awful stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the type of book that as you're reading, you know that it was a book that pretty much every single word was chosen very specifically. Um, it really feels like, a lot of the the lingo that I was talking about was chosen for a reason. I mean, the fact is, like, you know, you start out in this bar that's literally called The Chat, um, and there's it just keeps going from there. There's always very specific wording chosen for, for naming things and for how the prose is put together. Yeah. Yeah, pretty amazing work. Um, and... Um, uh, a really um, interesting device, and it's it's used um, throughout literature. Um, but it's when one person sees through the eyes of another. Mm-hmm. The um, SimStem uh, technology, or whatever that. Um, so um, our protagonist um, uh, case case, um, which, was, by the way. Is a huge pet peeve of mine when you name a character out of after like just a common word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that. But anyway, Case, yes. <laughs> yeah, our protagonist, um, Case, um, would have three um, streams in the narrative going simultaneously mm-hmm. um, where he is bodily um, in a ship or somewhere, you know, jacked in. And then um, he's also engaged in hacking, an immersive form of hacking, um, breaking through firewall barriers um, that's called ice. And um, But then he's also able to flick a switch and see what's going on with Molly, what she's mm-hmm. doing through her eyes. And I thought that was a good use of that device, and it made um, so often um, uh, in work since this. Um, 
when someone's doing that immersive hacking, it's it's kind of not too. It's not the best part. It's hard to understand. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, so adding the Molly action sequences through his eyes on that same timeline, and then you had Molly on that same timeline too, where you would be seeing she would be seeing through her own eyes. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty. Uh, uh, it was a way to actually work the immersive hacking into a narrative where bodily he was dying, uh, flatlining out for seconds at a time, and uh-huh. while he's hacking, um, and I guess the immersive hacking is real dangerous because it can make you flatline, you know, and then at the same time trying to keep up with what Molly's doing. Uh, so it wasn't action sequences in the same way as um, you usually think of action sequences and the other thing uh, kind of realistic about it is all the fights were really short. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, oh, that fight's over and this guy's dead. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like a 10-minute action sequence. Yeah, there ain't no just... uh, roll to hit and any of that. It's just, uh, yeah. So here's what I really like about everything that you just said. Because I, I think that that decision... Um, works on so many levels because what you're basically doing is you're reading about a guy who's sitting in one place. I mean, that's, that's what's actually happening is he's just sitting there and he's doing all of this in cyberspace. Um, But one thing that's really cool about the way that they kind of interspliced all of these different mechanics to allow him to have all of these different experiences um, and communicate with these different people simultaneously and just flip back and forth is it allows a, a first-person narrative story um, to become something that has a lot of movement, that has a lot of cuts, and a lot of, a lot of stuff that you would normally associate with either um, multiple characters and bouncing back and forth, or something more like you would see in television or a movie where there's a lot of quick cuts between the different parts of action, which you normally wouldn't be able to do. But, like, when he's flipping back and forth between these different things that he has access to, it's literally almost like flipping channels. Mm-hmm. Like, you're just like, okay, I'm going to check in with Molly and see what's happening with her. Mm-hmm. And then flip back and, and experience <coughs> real life or experience talking with um, Dixie. Um, like, all of these different uh, things that he could just flip back and forth kept that momentum going and kept it uh, quite interesting for what is basically amounting to a guy you know, sitting in a chair with a plug in his head. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, it's so exciting. What an exciting yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, I think it's also really cool, especially when you look at what his role is for Molly, because he's just an observer and he can experience and observe what she's, but he can't communicate with her and he can't control anything. Yeah. Uh, which it's for puts his him. Yeah. Which puts him into the same position that the artificial intelligence is in. I think um, she knows, though, that he's there. Mm-hmm. So that's something. She, yeah, she's aware she when he something. when he yeah. comes in, but yeah. he he gets a, a little taste of what it's like to have what feels like you should have all of the power, but really you don't have any of the power of the physical world. Um, mm-hmm. That that Molly is experiencing, 
Um, and it's kind of a, a neat way to relate it back to the artificial intel- intelligence that is achieving a lot of things, but is doing so by manipulating people around them and not actually doing them physically themselves. There's a lot of really cool juxtaposition between the physical world and the cyber world and which one is more real, which one has more power, you know, and it's it's just another layer to that. Yeah. Talking to you just now, it uh, made me think about what exact opposites Case and Molly are. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I didn't think of Case as being a guy sitting in a chair when I read it, because that was the part that was way in the background, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, but that's in fact, you know, he was always, you know, until the very end. And that's part of what I don't like about the ending. And then there's another part I don't like about the ending. Um, and I think that's also, uh, one of the problems with writing a really great ambitious book is that it's almost impossible to write a good ending for a really great ambitious book mm-hmm. it's uh it's much easier uh to put a satisfying ending on a um well constructive well constructive action narrative you know what i'm saying yeah than something like this that breaks so much ground um but so uh, of course he did kind of turn into a little bit of an action hero at the end but he was terrible at it like you would expect him to be yeah. And um, uh, I didn't really see that that helped the story, to have him physically present um, uh, in the Battle of the Ninjas or the battle against uh, uh, old what's-his-name, Illusionist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Riviera. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. You got it. I got it, man. That's his name. So, what was your was your problem? Just the fact that he was physically there at the end, or like, yeah. what was your problem with the end? Because I kind of like the ending. <laughs> okay. Um, Everybody has okay. their own choice. <laughs> In the first place, he obviously uh, couldn't be him and Molly happy ever after and all that. Yeah. Nowhere, nowhere. If you were reading the book at all, that was nowhere in the cards. Okay. Uh, but then he did. Uh, uh, have a little like maybe there's a little bit of happy ever after with some other girl you know and then he did have a little like illusion of the three of them or something so it was mm-hmm. a very ambiguous ending um, and I mean I don't think there was any really resolving anything at the end I'm not even sure why there was a denouement but there clearly was mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't feel like it helped. Yeah. So here's the reason that I like the ending um, and the kind of reset to neutral as it as it presents itself. That really nothing really changes in Case's life um, is the fact that I read this entire story as a story of a person in purgatory. Yeah, well, I can buy that. I mean, <laughs> that describes Case's existence pretty well. 
So that's why I like the ending. I it's feel a, like that kind of... It's a dystopian of... future, and and he is a drug, drug addict who has a skill that he gets manipulated for all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my story of how I got manipulated and almost killed, and plus a bunch of other people died and all that. <laughs> yeah. And, well, I and think he's such there's an addict, and he's so far gone, none of that means anything to him anyway. Yeah. Yeah. He's, a, he's a genuine anti-hero, about as anti-hero as an anti-hero gets, without um, being evil. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he, you can see, he has a certain, um, there's, a, there's a specific term for it, but he's, he's using um, drugs to slowly kill himself at the, at the beginning. He's using uh, different, different things to, to put himself in a, in a place of high risk um, to basically like suicide by cop. Um, and it isn't even provided that because as soon as he starts to get to like, okay, well now I actually have people after me and I'm going to die. Uh, he's actually pulled into another job and everything's kind of reset. And then he thinks, oh, cool. Well, now I get to go and do the cyberspace thing again. And then he learns that, no, he's on a ticking clock there. And it's just this constant push and pull of him always being in the middle and never really getting one way or the other. And then there's lots of other examples um, of this idea of people living on as as ghosts, as like copies or clones of themselves, which is a very purgatory-like way of looking at it. Um, and you, you have that a lot with Dixie, who wants yeah. to wants to be erased. Like yeah. he is literally in purgatory um, and wants to be erased. And so there's a lot of that that kind of got me thinking more and more about how this book is just about this weird limbo state of between the these two realities and neither reality really being completely real. Yeah, in fact, uh, both all completely, not just both, but all of them. See, because each artificial intelligence creates their own cyber reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we never, that's the, you know, you were expecting, as a reader, uh, interested in the singularity and all that. You know, we never got the, I mean, they they got the word. The AIs merged, you know, but then that's it. Okay, we don't know what happens next. Now, there may be more in the trilogies to come, but the, as far as this novel goes, um, uh, it it all ends very open-ended. Yeah. Which... Uh, I like that part of it. I like the that it ends open ended. I just um, uh, wasn't in favor of the um, ambiguous uh, denouement. Oh, I freaking love ambiguity. <laughs> <laughs> I love ambiguity too, but but yeah, okay. But anyway, that's. I mean, he had to end it some way. I, yeah. I probably wouldn't have liked any other way he ended it either. I just didn't want it to end. I guess. Maybe um, that's it. Yeah. But uh, uh, there is a lot of writing in this novel that um, where the author is unchained from reality. In other words, it's in constructed 
realities or possibly descriptions um, of uh, like math, what math might look like if you were in an immersive cyberspace and you could actually see the math, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, um, that's some really um, difficult writing not to get lost in for the reader and the writer. And uh, we've discussed it before. And um, uh, uh, Gibson really pulled that off uh, uh, really well, really. I mean, especially the uh, cyber realities created by the um, by the AIs, um, uh, it's the way they were so minimal, you know, the sand and the bunker and the ocean, and, yeah, mm -hmm. and a town that's there sometimes, you know, or maybe it's not a town, maybe it's a tower or a house. Um, it's uh, I found that very interesting. Um, that that he anchored it uh, in a mundane reality, um, anchored the most unreal scene in a very in a book full of very unreal scenes. Um, so. mm -hmm. Well, and the other thing is with what glimpses we get of what the, the actual world, the, the reality reality, um, you, you get an understanding of how neglected it appears to have become. And you get, especially with the, the community that's kind of in between the two, um, the two main, main areas, the, the, the earth presumably and um, the uh, what's the what's the planet that they go to or the station that they go to the but anyway oh, there's a yeah so they're on earth like for like three hops and then they go uh, orbital I believe and that's a like city or land and space yeah, okay, Zion. That's what I was thinking it was, but Zion, I was just... Zion is where the Rastafarians are. Yeah, and yeah. that is a rejection of the the over-reliant uh, on technology and, 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 and cyberspace. Um, they've really rejected that in a lot of ways, which continues to show just how even regular day like in your physical body stuff is so far removed from what we would assume that would be yes and uh, there's a city up there too mm -hmm. yeah and um, and then there's that private estate the, the, that the artificial intelligence is run or 3Jane yeah. There's a lot there's a lot to keep it like well, the glossary would have been helpful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the, I'm trying to remember the different names and the different the the different places they go cuz it is I mean it essentially breaks down into a heist novel and it's just a series of heists. Um and each yeah, heist has locations. its own set 
setting, like has yeah. its own setting, has its own set of characters, like really um, becomes a little mini like short story of its own. Uh-huh. And, and there is a lot of very quickly rotating characters um, that kind of yeah, either influence the story or are used as puppets at mm-hmm. the end. Yeah, and and as you uh, go, uh, the reality becomes substantially more unreal, mm-hmm. and uh, cyber reality becomes substantially more real. So, uh, I believe you said it's hard to tell which is real or which is making the argument for which is real, but the the trend is clear. You know. Um, Cyber reality, which at the beginning of the novel was, well, jacks and what's all this mean and all that, you know, and ice, and you didn't even really know what ice was, you know, and you're going, okay. And reality was like gritty and awful, you know, but it was, uh, okay, it's a dystopian future. I've read dystopian futures before, you know, but this is a, a reality. Um, uh, but by the time you get to the uh, private estate in the sky, um, the artificial intelligence cyber realities were more real than the uh, house with no straight walls and the yeah mm-hmm. and the people were uh, pretty weird too <laughs> well and there's a lot of stuff um, from cases to POV that, that shows that it's not even that it's more real. It's that it feels more like what should be real because he has that moment where, um, he gets, um, high kind of mid to, to later in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that girl gives him the drugs that actually can still make him high. Mm-hmm. And he like recognizes that she's like human, that she's meat, that she's flesh. And it freaks him out. Like he can't deal with something that's real, um, because it 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 turns him off. Um, so it's not even necessarily just that the the technology has advanced to a, a point where it feels real. It's advanced to a point where humans are so reliant on it that they choose it to be real over reality. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of, you know, the story of civilization through the age, ages. <laughs> mm-hmm. We, we, as a civilization, we immerse ourselves in less and less real experience, um, yet somehow remain in the world. Um. Just trying to remember if there's anything else. I need to start, like, having notes for these things, but then I get nervous that I'm going to have, like, PTSD from my English minor and not want to read anymore. Because <laughs> yeah. that well, was the thing where I... I didn't use notes and I think I think I remembered everything I wanted to talk about. <laughs> oh, I feel like there's a couple of things. Yeah, probably. I feel like Molly's way more interesting than we had a chance to talk about her, but don't have exactly all the specifics. I think Molly, Molly is definitely in my mind the the most fleshed out character other than Case himself. More fleshed out than Case. I think I think Molly's far more interesting and far more 
um, uh, tragic, stoic, mm -hmm. um, uh, ambitious, uh, accomplished. You know, I mean, it's not a good career or anything like that. But she uh, um, had the respect of that ninja lady. She <laughs> she definitely was there all the way to the end. Um, she you could never tell if the chips were down or not. It didn't. She, the chips being down didn't really affect her. Yeah. Well, and she has she has this great like just natural uh, need to know what's going on while also still presenting herself as someone who will just do the job mm -hmm. as it's given to her. Yeah. Um, which clearly like is and isn't the case. Like she will, but the entire time she's doing it, she's also doing all the investigating to figure out what that job actually is and figure out if the bigger job that's unfolding because of the job she's doing is something that she can actually get behind, which I think is, is very um, interesting and, and gives her a level of accountability that we don't, yeah, you're right. You don't necessarily see in case like she is the, um, motivator in a lot of the scenes like she is the one that actually gets the stuff done that moves the story forward in, in a lot of this book yeah and she's the one with uh, where you learn more about her character the further you get into the book her mm -hmm. character becomes more and more fully fleshed out now I won't say she develops a lot because um, we're only at that last little few days you know what I'm saying of her but obviously, you see the development from almost from when she was a child, really, through through her life, her terrible life, where she made terrible decisions and came out on top. Mm -hmm. So, um, so she's um, the most interesting character by far. Um, uh, Riviera is just annoying, you know, <laughs> and the 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 boss and the and the, the artificial intelligence front men more or less mm -hmm. <clears throat> some of them were actually kind of like flesh bots yeah I think that um, Armitage or however you yeah. pronounce it is is an interesting concept he's not a good character but he's not really meant to be a good character he's actually presented in such a way that you're supposed to be suspicious of him from the beginning because he looks just kind of unnaturally natural. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's more of an interesting ghost of, of a character than a character itself. It's kind of like um, if you're an AI and you need to have a presence in the physical world, you need to have someone who can spread some money around and make some phone calls and all that kind of stuff. Of course, you could make the phone calls, but you know what I'm saying. But some of the stuff Armitage did, the AI felt, you know, he really needed him to gather that team to lead it, to tell him what to do, all that, you know. Um, they knew, he w they always knew he was not the big boss. He was the foreman on the job, and uh, they just didn't know he was going to totally disintegrate in front of their eyes. Mm -hmm. um, but when he did, they weren't surprised. They knew, by then, they'd both been in touch with the AI. Mm 
Wintermute, that's an interesting name, too. Yeah. I do like that they have this idea of this weird, like, yin and yang between the two AIs, um, where one kind of has all of the, the skills and the plan and the, and the, um, the technical side the uh, that goes into it, but has no personality, has no real identity of its own, whereas the other <coughs> one, the Neuromancer itself, is actually a fully-fledged identity. Um, and so those merging together create a, a, a truly, like, you know, singularity experience. But it's kind of like, that's the last ingredient, right? You can have an artificial intelligence that has all of the information and has the ability to learn from and, and, and improve itself and all of this stuff that we kind of associate with it. But there's also the fact that it has to have an identity um, beyond just that. And that merging of it is that like final piece of the puzzle uh, of what's required for it to transcend and become a god, I guess. Yeah, that's what we don't really know. And that's, that's, I'm fine with that, not knowing that at the end. Is he a god, you know, or is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely. I doesn't know either. Yeah. You know. It's definitely presented in a way that you believe that if it chose to present itself a, as a god, then people would believe it's a god. Um <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, then you have this whole other layer of, well, then there's perhaps actual gods out there that are way above what this thing's at, and this thing's just playing at God, um, because that's all of the unknown. But there is a lot of biblical and and theology referenced throughout this story, and so that is something that they were always kind of playing towards is this idea of is this thing turning into a god is that what what the end game is for this thing yeah it was it was always uh well with any um uh, if if we create the computers and we create the artificial intelligence then is man the creator but then if there's like a post singularity thing and there was obviously these um uh, personalities were not complete, but they were obviously capable. Both, mm -hmm. both Neuromancer and Wintermute, obviously capable. And um, uh, if if the joining of them became complete, started the singularity, then that would normally you would think that would be the entering the age of artificial intelligence, where uh, machines became. Um, uh, over became uh, higher than humans, you know, but at the same time, humans were the creators, so it turns the whole god uh, uh, mythos on its head that you create, mm -hmm. you create your own god if it's singularity. And then there's a lot of people who think that you know they'll just be real smart. They won't be god. They'll just be real smart. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's it's. Again, it's not 
clear what happens to it because it still obviously has some amount of presence on this reality because it speaks with, at least to some degree, it speaks with Case at the end. Um, or maybe that's just winter mute and not the full. I don't know. Like I like I can't. I I I've, I feel like my understanding. And again, I really want to reread this book mm-hmm. because I feel like I'll get a lot more the second time through. My understanding is that when it the singularity occurs, it creates a new reality that's beyond this reality. And when that happens, it is a creator in itself. So we created it and then it creates from there something that it can have dominance over. Um, but recognizes also that it is not unique, which I think is interesting. Um, cause it recognizes that there are other intelligences like it in other parts of the universe. Yeah, and you reminded me of another thing I don't like about the ending. Uh, at the time, it was very common to write a science fiction story or a novel, and then at the very end, there's this like paragraph that's a peon to the stars, and then the next thing we're going to do is go to the stars, you know, and uh, this was a little bit like that. <laughs> I think it was intentional. I think he was uh, um, resin on it a little bit or something, but it is a, it is a trope. Uh, mm-hmm. denouement trope in science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's a reading that this whole story is just about Case getting high. Yeah. <laughs> Very possible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and there is like this reset of his life at the end. Like, you know, he's back in the same place. He goes to the same bar. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's kind of stuck in the same rut. Yeah. Gets another girl. Go. Yeah. He goes off and he gets another girl and probably gets into the same repeating patterns. (laughs) Um, which I appreciate that with the reading of this is all a story about being, being trapped. Um, in those cycles being in, in a purgatory like state. And I think that it, it kind of shows in a way that everybody around him kind of has had the ability to move on. Um, and he's still stuck. Um, because I really feel like Molly shows more initiative of moving on in the end. You have obviously this singularity that occurs with this new, like godlike intelligence that moves on. Um, there's a lot of stuff around him that's showing that there's there's things happening and he just isn't part of it. Yeah, he don't he don't want to move on. Right. <laughs> and you even see that with that representation at the end with uh Linda Lee and, and him in in the in the cyber reality like frozen in, in this weird time and space he almost looks at that like it's a a a good thing perhaps um but that is the the epitome of perhaps being frozen in in time but at the same time you know it's revealed throughout the story that he was in love with linda and it's kind of a weird it's kind of a weird not really happy ending happy ending for some weird construct of him that isn't him and it, it becomes in this state of just like, is that actually 
happening somewhere in one of these random realities? Is that something that's going on? Is it just him, you know, trying to reason with himself that it's okay as long as some version of him lives out and uh, happily ever after that he can still be in this um, self-destructive cycle. It's it's all over the place um, and could have a million different reads. And that's why I love ambiguity. Yeah, me too. And uh, <laughs> um, Like we were talking about how Molly's character, although not in the course of the narrative, but over the course of the story that we learn about her, there's a lot of character development. And there's even a lot at the end, even in the post part, even past when she gets hooked up with the rich folks. Um, but uh, um, uh, Case's character develop is to development is to not develop. Mm-hmm. His his unique trait is that he does not suffer from character development. So that's pretty interesting for a protagonist and a you know in a novel you know a story about him to have that as being a, like a primary trait is. I'm just me. Mm-hmm. Well, and I suppose, I mean, you can always get into stuff like that, but I could suppose that there's also a commentary to be had here of the dangers and the secular nature of in in modern society, and I'm not saying that this is what William Gibson was going for, but I, I think you could relate to this idea of when you're so dependent on technology that it just becomes a cycle for you. Like think of how many people just scroll through Facebook just to scroll, not to really improve their life anyway, just to turn off and be numb and, and kind of just scroll. And it's it's kind of a real thing that we do um, when we have access to something that is, is mind numbing is we embrace that because it allows us to, to turn off, to be in that weird neutral state. Now, in reality, most people do that and then come out of it and live real life again and, and deal with all the other crap that you have to deal with in life. But Case is one that's so addicted to that numb. He doesn't want to feel stuff. He doesn't want to experience reality. He doesn't want to see people's pores or wrinkles. He wants everything to be just neutral and numbing and and easy and that leads to a situation where he has no progression he has no ability to move forward because he's not willing to embrace anything other than that except that he does become very protective of whatever woman he is currently engaged with mm-hmm. so that's also a part of him and that's a part that's how he's manipulated in a way, you know, mostly. And, uh, yeah, we got money and lots of bandwidth. You know, well, and it's also interesting saying that is that when you look at Linda Lee's character, she is she is just a plot device character. I mean, she's not a character in any form other than she moves the plot along. But she starts out as a plot device to we have to get rid of her so that Case will move on and continue going on. And that's the real, like, reality Linda Lee. But then she's also used later on as a virtual copy of Linda Lee as a way to try to keep Case 
in one place, like to, to prevent him from moving on. And he chooses to move on from the virtual Linda Lee, whereas the real Linda Lee had to be taken out in order to motivate him to, to move on from her in real life. So it's like, as much as you want to escape in that virtual reality, as much, there is just certain things that it cannot replace. For Case, anyway. For Case, anyway, yeah. yeah. Every, yeah. Everybody's got their own uh, uh, priorities. <laughs> but I think that that's interesting, that you would think that a virtual version of Linda Lee would be everything he would ever want, because it's the girl he liked, and it's in the world he wants to be in. But he actually pulls away from that. That was the last-ditch effort of the Neuromancer that did not work. Yeah. Because we can count on our boy to make bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> so we put him in places where whenever he makes a bad decision, it will come to our benefit. Hmm. Yeah, Case is, Case is one of the more interesting protagonists um, I've ever read. I've read... Uh, Many anti-heroes, many protagonists that, uh, you know, uh, somewhere they develop their own life independent of the author, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, um, but uh, never anything quite like Case. Well, and it's kind of interesting because you talk about character development and, 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 and progression and how Case doesn't really have any, but... I mean, we we are informed of Molly's progression, but that's already taken place for the most part. Mm -hmm. And everybody else is fairly static. I mean, there's not really any changing of, of people's beliefs or people developing uh, um, different viewpoints on life. And this pretty much everybody has their views and they're stuck to it. So it's, it's a fairly... Um, static book when it comes to the development of its characters which normally would be the worst thing for me because i love so much when a character grows and changes throughout mm -hmm. the story but i really like the way that it is done here quite possibly because i read this as purgatory <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i like the way it's done because um it's different yeah it seems like it, like if somebody had like told me, it's just like basically all the characters are fairly static and some of the characters aren't really even characters and a lot of things are just there because of it, it's required for the plot. I'd be like, I would hate that book. But I actually really liked it. Yeah. I'm convinced it's good. I'm convinced you might be right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I will read it again. Um, not this month or next, but soon. Um, I, I would like to take another pass at it it certainly led to some interesting conversations and i like when you have a, a book that could be read on so many different levels um there's a very literal interpretation of just reading this book but then there's several like themes that could be explored there's several um different metaphors uh of the the fog we live in with drugs versus the fog we live in with technology, the this idea of being stuck in neutral. It works on so many different levels, and I think that 
that promotes discussion in a way that as much as you might enjoy those page turning adventure books at a certain point you're just like cool the hero slays the dragon and saves the maiden or whatever that the 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 story may be but the the substance in a book like this promotes so much conversation and like i was nervous about talking about this book because i felt like i had too much to talk about and not enough to talk about all at once because i feel like as much as we covered in this discussion there's probably a lot more to this book that we didn't get to talk about because it was our first time reading it and there's just certain things that we may never see in this book i really feel like it's one of those books that if you get somebody else with a different perspective and a different point of view you get this from somebody who has had addiction as part of their life trying to read this i mean i can't imagine what their point of view would be like so it's it's one of those that really uh promotes really interesting conversations so i think i think it was a good pick for book club for sure yeah (laughs) (laughs) that was the section where megan talks for five minutes straight and dad replies with one word (laughs) Well, that's unusual enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so are we done? Are we done with Neuromancer until it. we reread it? We're good with it. We're good with it. We think it might be a good book, guys. <laughs> so if you think you might be into a book that maybe is good, uh, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you didn't listen to this before, before you uh, uh, read it, because that would be bad. <laughs> We spoiled all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is not a spoiler-free book club. This is a talk-about-anything book club. Um, and um, there was a lot of sex and violence and violent sex. Yeah. But uh, it was a good book anyway. Mm-hmm. It was kind of one of those where... It was used in very specific ways, and it wasn't ever, like, they never really lingered on it too long. Like, they touched on, this is what's happening, and then they moved on. They touched on, this is what's happening, and they moved on. Um, And it was spread out enough that, even though it was there and I was aware of it, it, it never really felt like it kind of ruined the flow. And in some ways, like, I mean, the story of this idea of the dolls in the, in the brothel um, and that making money by removing part of yourself to just leave a shell again, ties into a lot of themes that I think could be discussed um, throughout this book of this idea of identity and this idea of what of you is you, you know, is, is it your physical self? Is it your mental state? You know, if you're, if you're just engaged uh neurally in cyberspace is that really a construct of you or does it require all parts of you to be you and i think all of that could go back to this idea of the 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 brothel and and just the 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 very quick flashes that we get of what's going on in the real world and how just seedy and gross it is yep <laughs> Well, with that being said, I think we're done with Neuromancer. Um, <laughs> next month, uh, we will be discussing Circe by Madeline Miller. 
um, which is a book that I have been wanting to read for a long time. It's been on my to-be-read to forever. So hopefully it's good. I think it might be good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it is obviously, obviously a Greek with, uh, mythology retelling, which always gets oh, me excited. Like so so we'll, uh, we'll get to that next month. Um, it'll be the fourth Monday again, which third Monday, be third Monday again, will be the third Monday of June, which will be the 15th. Okay. So you, you have, uh, until the 15th to read that I'm going to start reading it tomorrow. Cause I'm really bad about waiting until the last minute and then reading all of this and feeling like I missed half of it. Cause I sped read it. Um, I, I try to finish the book the day before or the day of the discussion, but that's risky. <laughs> yeah. The problem is, is that I think I'm going to do that with like, Oh, I only have 30 pages left to read the day of. Uh -huh. But what actually happens is I have 200 pages to read the day. <laughs> That's usually how that plan works. <laughs> but anyway. All right. So that wraps us up. Thank you all okay. so much for listening. And goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Related to Geeks Book Club. Recorded May 18th, 2020 in the Gamer Plus chat rooms at Tankars Tavern on Discord. For more about our geeky family, visit RelatedToGeeks.com. For more information about the book club, go to Gamer Plus, a social network for gamers, at GamerPlus.org. Megan, Larry, and Vivian discussed Neuromancer by William Gibson. The music for this show is Mosaic by Harry Larry from the NJHB Stinger album featuring Chris Stinger-Stevens on guitar and Cody Ballard on tenor sax. It was one of those books that, like, the, the more I, I thought into it, the more I was like, oh, the, there's this thing. And then I'm just like, okay, now I'm going to ramble about this for five minutes. I was like, somebody stop me. <laughs> <laughs>